Good morning, Donners and Travelers. You're listening to On the Menu with Ann and Peter Haig, and today we're going to have a treat. Kind of. <laughs> how many how many podcasts can you can you tune into where you can have a whole program on hummus <laughs> and chickpeas and goodness well, knows what all the, all the things that go into making them? But we came across two two fascinating people, one one all the way in Paris, and the other one where is he? I can't even can't even remember where Dan is. Where wherever Odang is. Odang. <laughs> oh, oh, dang hummus! So there, you'll 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 hear more about the program as we go along. But f- first of all, let's get ourselves in the right place with all the background information required to understand this amazing ingredient. Well, you know what I find of in Daniel Alexander. A designer, a, um, a a dream fulfiller, uh, the generally all around creative genius, a philosopher too, and a philosopher, and yes, and uh, listen to him talk about what he has determined is the hummus trail. Uh, Dan Alexander is a dream designer. Um, and, and he has produced a dream of a book called On the Hummus Route, A Journey Between Cities, People, and Dreams. Hummus. Now, Dan, before we went on the recorder, you were explaining how does one become a dream designer. Uh, uh, so, hi, Anne and I, Peter. Uh, thank you for having me. Um, so I started, uh, I, I just studied um, a design in, in Design Academy in Jerusalem uh, many years ago. I uh, started my career doing design, packaging design, branding, stuff like that. Uh, slowly, slowly, I realized uh, that what I'm most interested at is uh, to help people to make them three, make their dreams come true. And I found that the design is the, I think it's the ultimate uh, way to, to make a dream come true. Because dreams, we all have dreams. Uh, sometimes it's, it remains abstract. And I think that there is no such a thing, an abstract idea. Because immediately you come up to your mind with a specific form. And, there exactly where I came in, in order first to help to define this dream, and second to help it uh, and to assist of to make it happen in real life. And for that, you need the the abilities and the skills of of a designer. So that's uh, what I do with my team in Paris now. I live and work in Paris and in Perigord in south of France. Uh, we also have a studio in Tel Aviv. Uh, so with my team, that's what we do. We specializing in three main issues that I find the most interesting for me in my life. It's um, philosophy, technology, and design. Uh-huh. So everything that everything that would come in this kind of very weird, uh, interesting triangle, um, for me, it will be interesting. 
Well, now, how did you get from that, what you just explained to us, to the chickpea? <laughs> Uh, yeah, chickpea is also a dream, and uh, and uh, I will try to explain. Um, first of all, uh, I designed. Um, I, I really love books. Um, I designed many uh, books for museums, catalogs, and also uh, cooking books because I love to cook. Um, and um, and. Um, one one day I received a, a message from uh, from Ariel Rosenthal from Tel Aviv and from Orly Peli uh, Bronstein. Um, both of them were interesting uh, uh, to publish a book about uh, hummus, about the chickpea. Um, both are chefs. Arik has a very renowned place in in Tel Aviv, and Orly. I wrote um, many cookbooks in, in 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 Israel, so they asked me if uh, I would like to join them into this um, uh, thing of of, uh, of preparing and making um, uh, cookbooks about hummus. Uh, because uh, in the past I I made and designed and edited uh, a book which won very prestigious um, prizes, and so I immediately I said no. Uh, because I didn't want to do just another. Yeah, I, I, I didn't. I didn't want to do just another cookbooks, but uh, they were insisting, uh, and they were extremely nice. And uh, I said, okay, uh, let's find a way to do something different. And then we uh, came with um, the idea of um, turning it into something more interesting than just uh, cookbooks with recipes. Interesting, uh, so, Dan. Hold on just a second. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm so intrigued because this is so so much of the material in this book deals with chickpeas as if they're the most gorgeous things you've ever seen in your whole life. When in fact we saw them, yeah. grow, we've seen them growing on trees, <laughs> and they're they're, yeah. they're really not very interesting looking at all. Yeah, but uh, I I I'm a big admirer of quantum physics. In quantum physics, uh, I believe they say that if you change the way uh, you look at things, uh, the things changing. And in a lot of ways, I found something very interesting um, uh, with the chickpeas, because chickpeas is uh, is something very. Um, um, very interesting in the Middle East. And in a lot of ways, the chickpea embodies the story of us all. Right. And what I, what I believe is that the book brings together uh, the I and the law. Uh, because usually you would think of hummus and chickpea, but something very cheap and very low, you can find it in every, in every corner. But if you look at it differently and you dig in, uh, you see that you can find it everywhere, from secret uh, alleyways of old marketplaces uh, to the pages of ancient manuscripts, from busy street food uh, joined to hushed high-end restaurants. Um, and so, yes. Well, you know, it's I, I I know that they're ancient, but I I didn't realize that you can find them on um, uh, Egyptian frescoes. Uh, 
and that it was one of the the essentials for uh, entrance into the afterlife in the um, Egyptian religion. Yeah, yeah. I I think what I found uh, very interesting um, to discover is is uh, that nowadays many people would think of hummus, so you would think about really the very basic, very tasty dish, but it's it's uh, it's also not just the dish. Uh, it's also the grain itself. Uh, also, um, uh, hummus uh, become a mythology of the Middle East. Uh-huh. Uh, and it's a very, very explosive subject in the Middle East. Um, as, I, as I said, through hummus, uh, we realize that we can tell the story of all of us uh, through the point of view of this very little grain, uh, and if you like, it's uh, one small grain against the misconception of society. Yes. So um, what, we, what we've tried to do is to, uh, and I came with this um, title of uh, Hummus Root, like the old uh, Silk Road or Fragrance uh, Old Root. And uh, we came up with a, with a journey between cities, people, and dreams, and and if you like, it's it's a, it's an utopian journey, uh, perhaps even a futuristic one, uh, one which we imagine in a hot hot air balloon. Um, uh, yeah, because you know it's very funny. I will tell you the root of the hummus, and then I will tell you something about it. So. So the, the root is starting from Cairo, as you mentioned, the, yes. the Egyptian. Yeah. Uh, so it started over there historically also, but that's, and that's also the reason we, we started our journey there. So it's starting from Cairo and going all the way up to Damascus via Gaza, Jaffa, Tel Aviv, Jerusalem, Nazareth, Akh, and Beirut. In Lebanon, so it's like uh, nine uh, hummus uh, hubs in the Middle East. Yes, and, and, and you yeah. know, I, I'm surprised that that more people haven't noticed this and created in their head this hummus root because it, it's very real, isn't it? Yeah, it is very real, uh, but it's kind of uh, futuristic uh, in a way that one cannot do at least none of the contributors for the book, and, and, and very shortly we'll come to the contributors of the book, but none of the contributors can do actually this route. <laughs> because... Why? Yeah, because, because of this um, tense situation yes. in, mm-hmm. in the Middle East. Right. So uh, for that, uh, one of the first double spreads in the book, he starts with a map which illustrates this route. And what is interesting about this map is that it doesn't have any borders. Yes. It doesn't uh, mention any countries. This is true. It doesn't uh, have any oppressive systems. It's just cities and people living in those cities having uh, their dreams living their lives, and what we wanted to know uh, and to see 
is uh, how people live in those people in those cities uh, what they know about uh, hummus and falafel uh, to share with us their stories their dreams and their recipes now you have a so go ahead yeah sorry yeah yeah no, but you you have you keep talking about um, us and our um, you have this what you call the global team of contributors. Um, how did yeah. you pick them, and could you just note some of them to give a characterization to the kinds of people who are contributing ideas to this book? Yeah. So, um, um, for in, from what I think, it's a, it's first of its kind collaboration uh, that uh, I led out of Paris as a as a chief editor. Um, and it's created by uh, iconic figures in the world of uh, culture, cuisine, uh, science, involving renowned chefs, philosophers, researchers, uh, photographers, illustrators, um, and uh, all total is, is uh, all in one is 400 page volumes of, of uh, 408, if to be more correct. Uh, so contributors include, uh, by example, uh, Claudia Rodin. Yeah, I saw her. Uh, Claudia. Yeah. Uh, Sami Tamimi. Um, um, you probably know him. Um, a yes. Palestinian chef uh, working uh, in London, exactly. uh, very uh, well known. Yes. Uh, Karim Haida, a Franco-Libanese chef, lives in Paris. Uh, Farouk Mardam Bey. Uh, Judy Kala, uh, Professor Lior Abviron from the Tel Aviv University, uh, Muhammad Urfali, uh, and so on, so on. We have more than 30 contributors that each one of them uh, um, were, was kindly enough to give us uh, his point of view and is, uh, is, one, is, is in one of the chapters. Well, how so, uh, do you the approach is, these people? Yeah, that's, uh, first of all, it was, it was, uh, very, it was, it was difficult. Um, and, uh, first of all, uh, the difficulties were, was to, to really to choose people that we think could join us and, and, and be, um, be there. Uh, in our journey and help us really to convey this message that we wanted to convey. Because, of course, the book is about hummus and it uh, includes more than 70 recipes, etc. But it's more than that because this oh, book yes. is about humanity. Right. And about humanity, we wanted to have people with a big heart that will feel it and will be and would like to be part of that. Um, and it's um, the, the first time Arabs and Israelis collaborate in a book uh, this way. Yes. So I, as a chief editor, collecting and arranging all um, uh, the materials uh, required, if you, if I may say, a special <laughs> ten, ten point, which what I told everybody: I live on another planet. Uh, on our planet, we do things differently. <laughs> uh, 
on our planet, we treat people equally, uh-huh. without any connection to people's color, gender, religion, or belief system. So I believe uh, that people felt this and wanted to join our utopian journey. Um, so in this book, we focus on, on the cities and the people who live in these cities, avoiding the division made by nationality and borders. And uh, I just, we just tried, you know, uh, we, we wrote to people, uh, we tried to get to them in very, very weird ways, uh, and, and I was surprised each time that people say immediately yes. As you said, people said, yes, I would, I would really like to, to take part in this journey. Because I, I believe that people felt that we, we wanted to do something different. Uh, and in a way, I think that the book and what we are offering is a new social order. Um, and that's why people felt this and wanted, wanted to be part of that. And right. as you can, as you can imagine, um, it can be very, very difficult to some of the people to join this kind of journey, especially um, people that, um, okay, there, there are a lot of, as you can imagine, a lot of, a lot of, uh, of, 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 uh, of reason why uh, not to join this kind of journey because of, of all those things that I mentioned. Uh, but people said yes. Um, and people join us. And I think that in a lot of ways, and that's what I told everybody, I think that uh, we, like, you know, I told you, like, our book offers a new social order, and it's not a book about, okay, let's go deep into some hummus together and talk <laughs> about peace and love and, and forget it all. <laughs> not at all. On the contrary. Um, this book... In a lot of ways, it's a, it, it unfolds the full spectrum of the culinary and cultural tradition that go back thousands of years, and and we sure will remain well after we are gone. So it offers to remember, not to forget, and it offers a dialogue where each of us can give our other uh, their ethical demand for the right to exist, first of all, uh, uh, to live equally, to love, because I think that people felt, and that's what we want to say, that the end of it all, it's, it's all about humanity. And, yeah. uh, and yeah. lucky enough, funny enough, you can tell all of that throughout this little golden grain. Uh, oh, yes. The, the, that was a wonderful story. Thank you. About the golden chickpea. Do you want to tell it? Ah, yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. So, the book is uh, filled with gold. Uh, the cover, uh, lots of lots of, uh, of gold within the book itself. Exactly. Um, and we call the hummus uh, the golden grain. Um, and in our research, uh, we found a beautiful story about the sultan who held a huge banquet every year in Idel Fitter. Idel Fitter is the, 
the uh, celebration in the end of the Ramadan. Right. And uh, in one special dish, he would hide a chickpea made of pure gold. So the guests that found this grain in their place received lots of treasures from the Sultan. And I like this story from hundreds of stories that we found about chickpeas all over the cultures and, and, and generation. And, uh, and I like this, um, this story because I believe that we did the same. Uh, we tried also to hide many golden grains and secrets between the pages of the book uh-huh. uh, for our readers to find. Well, that's a new I direction. Hope. Yeah. Sorry? I said, that's a, that's a whole new direction, too. There's so many layers to this book. I hope that our listeners are getting that there are endless layers to this. Um, I want to say that the, the photographs support your thesis so thoroughly because they, they focus on, um, not just like the chickpea itself or it's, you focus, faces. You focus on humanity in your photos. I mean, the faces are yeah. extraordinary in this book. Yeah, yeah. For 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 us, it was very very uh, important. Uh, first of all, to show people. Uh, for me, it was very important also to show women, because uh, stupidly enough, um, hummus uh, people. I don't know. the 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 assumption is that hummus uh, is is like kind of a, a male dish or something like that, uh, a masculine dish. Uh, and for me, it's um, I I don't like this uh, conception. And we showed many women, especially women that uh, that fight to open their places, their restaurants. Uh-huh. And as uh, uh, sorry. I said that's hard, yeah. I got yeah, it. Yeah, you can hard. you 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 can you can see in, in Nazareth, for example, or, or in Ark, uh, there's beautiful, amazing uh, women chefs that uh, open restaurants and serving amazing um, uh, hummus, and uh, and like everything else, they do it much better. Uh, so so that's one angle. Another angle that you can see in the book. Is children. Um, you see, yeah, you see, you see lots of children. Um, and you know, yesterday was the uh, Nelson Mandela Day, and uh, Mandela said, I don't know if it, I will be very precise, but in general, is that we owe uh, our children to live in a world um, with equality and no fear. Uh, and I think in a lot of ways that's what we try to express in the, this book um, as well. Uh, you can see that all through the book, and uh, mainly you can see that in my favorite chapter uh, in Gaza, uh, which you can see, for example, there's a beautiful photo by uh, uh, Muhammad Assad, he's, uh, he's a photographer living in Gaza, which um, he, he, he took a photo of children getting out of school. And you, you, you can see this beautiful little child holding a, a, a pita a bread in, in his hand full with, uh, with hummus and falafel. <laughs> and that's the dish 
that they they have uh, after school because it's the cheapest it's uh, it has all the calories and everything it's very nutritious and um, uh, and you can see you, you can see this, these people and, and and suddenly you humanize uh, people that are dehumanized many times uh, for me it's very it, it was very important to show that um, so this book is full with things like that and And very important to say, full with very, very good recipes and amazing oh, uh, are, yes. point of view. Yeah, yeah the amazing point of view of how to make hummus and falafel, which, yeah. is, which is also very simple and, and, and yeah, well, can be and done you know, beautifully. Aquafaba is now part of everybody's, all the vegetarian applications for that. is called yeah. miracle water in your book and, yeah. and you have all these little known facts I mean I I have been to Italy forever and ever never and never saw a black chickpea is that such a thing really yeah, Italy, yeah. I've uh, never seen one yeah so we did really you know we, we, we were working on this book like almost three years we did uh, really a uh, very uh, deep research and suddenly we found this specific very special chickpea a uh, black one and uh, uh, we ordered it from Italy uh, uh, so so first of all we, we made a photo of that it's a beautiful photo on the book and uh, second also we boiled it of course and made uh, an amazing hummus out of that uh, talking of colors you can see beside of the uh, of Of the golden uh, hummus and and the black hummus you can find also the coated sugar hummus yeah, that, uh, yeah. people yeah with in in pink and and light blue which is very funny and very beautiful uh, to see it's uh, it's like uh, it's called the kedame uh, and the, and usually people ate it uh, in in after the Ramadan um, uh, days. Yeah, so Dan, yeah. I have a very peculiar question to ask you. Um yeah. it, I mean, this book was so emotionally and intellectually involving. Um what I keep thinking of as I go through it, you say you worked on it for three years. I think it would have been a horrible experience to suddenly finish it because it would take something away from from your your thought process your emotional process how did you feel about completing the book you know Anne you are the first one that uh, they asked me this question and it's a very accurate one really uh-huh. uh, I can tell. so so, for, yeah, so for, first of all thank you for asking that uh, I could tell you uh, first of all the most uh, difficult thing I think to to do is to uh, to cut the book in 408 pages right that's always because you could imagine that uh, we had double the pages at least uh, but uh, okay so we as, as an editor as, an, as uh, the chief editor and as a designer I slowly slowly cut the the book down and we've got to uh, four hundred and and eight pages so that first of all was very difficult because we had so 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 many stories and stuff and this interesting thing that was part of our journey 
Uh, so that was one thing. And after, what, which was very important, very interesting uh, as well, we started to go to publisher. And uh, we had meeting with um, big shot publishers uh, in uh, New York, for example. Uh, and they they said, uh, yeah, they, it, it, it could work, but uh, let's cut the book into half <laughs> because 400, uh, 408 pages won't work. So we said, okay, um, but uh, don't touch our book because if you touch uh, uh, one page of our book, we are going to kill you. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so it, th- that was the second uh, very difficult decision. And then we've decided to publish it independently. Uh-huh. So it's, it's, it's published independently by, uh, by us, by, by the three co-authors of, uh, of the book. Um, and then at a certain point, I said, yeah, okay, I really need to let it go. Because as you said, it was, it was, yeah, it was very emotional. And uh, I think that I discovered uh, a lot of things about people, about food, about the human being, about the world. I don't know. I don't want to sound too kitsch, but, uh, but it was, uh, it was really a hell of a school for us, this book. Uh, because I think it touched so many things, and as you said, uh, it's 408 pages, but it's like 408 uh, million layers within this book, really, and yes. many secrets, oh, it's, it and many indeed. things. Yeah, it's, well, well, I know what the word is in English. I don't know what it is in French, but have, have you ever thought of the word sequel? A sequel? <laughs> no, no. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but so I think that in a certain point we've decided just to let it go and to publish it. Yeah. Um, uh, but to define with that, that um, even if one person would be interested in that and it would touch it in a way, for us it would be enough. That's because wonderful. in a lot of ways we uh, we won already in our uh, in our journey. Uh, because we won because we found so many things. And the only thing that we want to do now is to share this dream. And uh, interesting enough, uh, first of all, we said, okay, it's just the beginning of, of, of the journey. So for me, every uh, point that the book goes now is part of, of our journey. So also this beautiful conversation that we are having now <laughs> is uh, just another station, another point in this, beautiful journey that we started and the idea that this uh, dream would go to people all over the world for us it's a huge accomplishment well so uh so i i, I believe that yes sorry no i i was going to say that i think that uh, that anybody reading this book uh, will, will catch that that idea right away that there is something about it that is a beginning and even though you finally turned it in as, as and published it uh, there's something about it that's continuing exactly a very moving exactly. book so, yeah, it's yeah, a moving so book it's, you are a, a, a beautiful person and it's a beautiful book and, and I hope that, uh, that many many people uh, get captured with the magic of it Thank you so much. It's really so important uh, uh, for me and for us to hear that. And uh, and um, 
Uh, amazingly, uh, every person that uh, see the book and read it catch something from this journey and in a lot of ways join our journey. So this journey began and uh, I'm sure that it will continue and it will remain uh, much longer after us because uh, it's uh, yeah it's, it's it's an offer it's a proposal yes um, and uh, you know in 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 his divine comedy Dante uh, mm-hmm. wrote uh, Dante said uh, the hottest places in hell are reserved for those who in a period of moral crisis maintain their Neutrality. Uh-huh. Interesting. Uh huh. Interesting. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I'm I, I'm not uh, a, a big fan of hot places. So. <laughs> so. Well, Dan so Alexander, you've accomplished a, a wonderful, beautiful, magical uh, journey with this book on the hummus route, and I, I, I'm really delighted to to meet you uh, by phone and to talk to you. So, um, it was my pleasure. Thank you uh, so I really, much. Thank you so much, Anne and Peter. Thank you so much. It thank was my pleasure. Did. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, so what don't you know now about chickpeas and hummus? And the cities, the, the ideal route for among, among Among the hummus route and... And, and a whole lot of other things as well, and some fascinating stories about some very interesting people who just happen to have in common a great interest in this magical, 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 magical ingredient. So we're, we're going to come back with another take on hummus after the break, so don't go away because we'll be right back. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. Welcome back. Uh, Next stop, what exactly do you think that... If something's really, really good that you're tasting, what do you think Jesse Wolk would say? He'd say, Oh, oh dang! dang. <laughs> <laughs> and guess what the name of his company is? Apparently that's what they do in, in Ohio. <laughs> so listen, this is well, an interesting well, Dan's story. Been a, Dan's been in a large number of places, including the statistically impossible thing to do, which is to get on Shark Tank. Yes. So you know, if, you, if you don't want to stay, you want to stay on just to find out how to get on Shark Tank. That's probably a very good use of your time. But in, in but in the meantime, it's also a fascinating story. A really lively young man. Sometimes I fall in love with products immediately, and I, I just got some samples of what I really did fall in love with. It's ironically called Odang Hummus, and we're going to be talking to its founder, 
Jesse Wolf right now. Uh, Jesse, you've come a long way, and you've had a um, sometimes bumpy, but certainly exciting and adventurous ride. Could you take us back to how you had your wisdom team teeth out when you were in college in the University of Central Florida? Is it? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, and uh, and and you had this great vision, which started this journey in this company. Start. Yeah, yeah, and thank you both for having me on the show today. Very excited. Yeah, it started with, you know, uh, the way a lot of companies start, you know, just out of pure necessity. Um, I was on winter break in between semesters at the University of Central Florida, and, uh, you know, hey, what a good time to get your wisdom teeth pulled out. Uh, so I did. Bad and, idea. You know, I was, Bad idea. Yeah. Oh, it was, it was rough, but it had to be done. So, um, you know, I, I waited a little later in life to do, but, you know, finally had it haven't done. So, uh, but yeah, when I was laid up kind of recovering from, uh, the extractions, you know, I was really craving, uh, food I missed. And I love chicken wings. I love buffalo wings in particular. And I really wanted buffalo wings, but I just could not chew anything solid, you know? Right. So the week before I was eating a lot of milkshakes and soup and, you know, that was a lot of fun. You know, any excuse to drink a milkshake is a good day. Uh, but, you know, it got tiring, and I wanted something more savory. So I had gone to the store, and I bought hummus, and I was looking for hummus. And I had had it a little bit before that, but not really a staple in my household. So I was looking for some kind of buffalo wing dip that I could just kind of eat with a spoon. And there wasn't anything on the market. You know, I thought there might be a sour cream version. I thought for sure hummus might have a version. But in 2013, hummus really only had four or five really mainstream flavors. Um, and then more so Mediterranean, if you will. So, you know, it wasn't an option. So I took um, regular hummus back to my house, and I kind of doctored it up. You know, I put my own blue cheese chunks in it and some, you know, hot sauce, if you will, and, and made my own version. And it was really good, but it became too watery now, are you, uh, because I was, yeah, I was adding extra liquid into it. Yeah, are, you, are you from Buffalo? I mean, is that the Buffalo connection? No, I grew up in Ohio, so okay. a little due west. But, uh, you know, quite the, um, you know, influence in that area for sure. So, go ahead. So, um, so you, you were making it too watery, so. Yeah, yeah. so I was like, well, I have to make it from scratch. You know, I have to teach myself how to make hummus, and I'll just make it from scratch myself. I grew up, again, in Ohio on a farm. So my grandma, my mom, you know, they had me on bar stools when I was a little kid, you know, cooking from the, my first memories. Um, so, you know, not a, a culinary trained chef, but uh, a YouTube chef as I, I uh, like to tell my uh, friends and family, self-taught. And, you know, so I was familiar with cooking, and I whipped up some of this first buffalo wing hummus, if you will. And, you know, my friends were coming over and hanging out with me, you know, while I was kind of still recovering. And they were eating this hummus as well. My family was eating this hummus as well when they came over to visit. And everybody was kind of having the same reaction. It was like, wow, this is, like, really good. And I was like, you know, yeah, not bad for my first try, right? You know, just thinking, hey, it's just another dish I made for around the house. But my friends kept coming over and asking if I had some more of that stuff. And uh, one of my friends asked me if they could have some for um, a wedding shower they were going to. Uh-huh. So I would make her a batch. And I was kind of like a little caught off. I'm like, wow, it's one thing to like a dish, but then to, like, go out of your way to request it for, you know, an event. So being a good friend, I made it for her, and she took it to this event. Uh, and it was the hit of the, of the shower. And I was like, wow, there's really something missing here. Like, I wanted it. Apparently, other people liked it. And I kept hearing this, you know, I wish they made that. I wish they made that. Someone should make this. And I'm like, 
why can't I be that someone? So, you know, kind of the start of the line going into the next semester, uh, I had to take a business What were you studying, by the way, in school? What was your major? Yeah, actually, it was business management and entrepreneurship. I dual majored. All right. I thought I had entrepreneurship in there somewhere. Yeah, I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I wasn't sure what the business was going to be, and I had some, you know, much smaller businesses earlier on. Uh, But the next one I wanted to start, I wanted it to be big, something that I could really uh, move the needle with, if you will. And I didn't know what that was at the time. But, again, the stars were kind of aligning. I had to take this business plan, writing class. And yet I have an idea for a, um, a business, and the top five ideas in the class were selected, and then you broke off into teams of five to write these business plans for the semester. So in fear of getting stuck writing a business plan about, you know, typical college, another bar or a food truck, um, I submitted my idea for becoming the Ben & Jerry's of Hummus, doing, you know, all these crazy flavors, fun flavors, unique flavors that don't exist um, on the marketplace. So I submitted the idea. And sure enough, I got another great response. The class kind of went nuts, um, <laughs> fighting over, you know, picking this group, right? And I was yep. like, wow, like there's, we're, I'm on to something here. We're in, and, the, and we're in the great golden age of chickpeas, you know. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's a chickpea rush. <laughs> so, and, um, so, But, yeah, that's, that's kind of what started, you know, the whole thing. did you start really. then branching out into different flavors or... Uh, uh, did you do test marketing? What came, uh, eventually, you end up on Shark Tank, right? Yeah, so the journey to Shark Tank was pretty wild. You know, I wrote, I spent that entire semester with my team, and we wrote a business plan. And as we were writing the business plan, I realized, oh, wow, there, there's a lot of opportunity in this market. I knew nothing about the grocery market or the CPG market, um, but I, I was learning through that semester, and um, you know, I realized that there was only a couple big players in my space making hummus, and there was not a lot of diversification, uh, and there was, you know, really kind of almost a monopoly by one of the brands. So, you know, being naive, I'm like, hey, let's let's give this a try. So, you know, I bootstrapped it. I ended up winning uh, third place in a college business plan competition with that business plan, um, and I won about four thousand dollars cash prize uh, money. Yeah, you know, thanks UCF. <laughs> so, um, I used that money and I, I threw it all into the idea of Odang Hummus. And I thought, where was the one place I can go for cheap to do test marketing? How can I test market this to make sure people really would want to buy this? And again, stars aligned. We live in Orlando, Florida. It's beautiful 24 seven here, 365. So the farmer's markets go year round. Um, so I spent the next, you know, almost year preparing and getting ready to sell at farmers markets, and we launched um, April of 2014 in a local farmers market here in Orlando, uh, and sold out almost three hours after, uh, you know, the market opened. <laughs> so well, we you're, you at that you're, point. You're in Orlando, are you, Jeff? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, Orlando. Do you, Florida. Do you know my friend that, who has the rusty spoon? Oh, I love the Rusty Spoon. Delicious. Tell Kathleen Blake you're on the show and say hello for us. Oh, I will. Absolutely. That's another excuse to go to the Rusty Spoon. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> She's a really good friend. Oh, that's cool. What a small world. How fun. I know. She's a really good chef, too. She's a very good oh, chef. Very good fantastic. chef. Fantastic. Yeah. Absolutely. So, anyhow, um, so you won that and, and you kept expanding. 
Yeah, so we started with the farmer's markets. We went from one farmer's market into about seven of them within a couple months. And I was like, well, I think the testing's working. <laughs> you know, yeah. people definitely want to buy it. Um, and our concept's really cool. So as we're doing these farmer's markets, I was, you know, kind of preparing for what's next. You know, I'd like to go into grocery stores. You know, naturally, that's where, you know, I thought I belonged. Well, along the way, we did farmer's markets very serious for almost the first year straight. Um, but about six months into it, we kept having a lot of fun at the markets. We had a really great fan base that came out and supported us every weekend. And they kept telling us, you know, hey, you should go on that show Shark Tank. You should go on that show Shark Tank. Oh, funny. So, yeah, so January, um, I was also part of a UCF college incubator. And I made a lot of really great close friends that I'm still very close with to this day. From that incubator, we went and did a bunch of stuff, you know, together. So one night we're all out eating dinner one night just as friends. And the one girl was like, hey, did you guys all hear Shark Tank is uh, having live auditions in Miami? And I was like, oh, how cool. You know, that's like the dream. And she said, yeah. She's like, you know, out of everybody, she's like, Jesse, you guys should go. You know, you're already selling. You're selling pretty well. You have a product. She's like, you should run down and check it out. And I'm like, nah, we're not ready. We've only been selling for six months. We're only at farmer's markets. Like, I thought we had to be a lot bigger than what we were because we were in no grocery stores at this time, just farmer's markets. Um, so I'm driving home that night, and I'm thinking to myself, you know what, what do you got to lose? Like, you just go down for the audition. You know, it'd be fun. You could put it on social media. Like, just the experience would be cool. And Miami is about three and a half hours south, so it's a little bit of a drive. But um, I called my friend, and uh, the one that told me about it, and I called my other friend who was kind of working for us part-time, and I said, let's do it. You know, meet me at my house at noon tomorrow. Um, I'll stay up all night doing the application, and let's go down. And that's what we did. So I didn't sleep all that night. I stayed up, did the, like, four-page application, got product ready, um, and we drove down. I slept in the car, and then we basically slept in the parking lot uh, for the audition. And uh, about 4 o'clock in the morning, we got in line. They handed us our wristbands, and we were number 33 oh, wow. out of about, about 4,000 people that day. 4,000? I wonder how, Four, many tur- oh, how many they turned out for those auditions. Yeah, about 4,000. They capped it at 4,000. So, I mean, people were flying in from all over the country. It was crazy fun getting to talk to people and see where they're coming from and what the product was. Um, you know, and they tell you that day, hey, you're auditioning. You may hear from us next week, next month, next year, or you may never hear from us. Don't wait for us. Continue to run your business. So I took that mindset right away. I'm like, I'm here. It's an experience. We auditioned. It was a lot of fun. You know, it was a great experience for sure. And, uh, and we left. And I honestly didn't think twice about it because I was like, we're too small. And about two weeks later, I'm driving to class. And I get a phone call from California, and I answer it. And sure enough, it's the uh, producers from Shark Tank saying, we really like your product. Oh, no. We'd like you to continue on. Are you interested? And I was like, well, of course, you know. Um, and then the six-month journey to, you know, getting finally on the TV show kind of began. So it's quite a lengthy process. Um, and they basically cut down, you know, they audition about, 45,000 companies every year, and it keeps growing every year. It's bigger. Yeah. Yeah. And they keep about 60. So, you know, even getting selected, the odds of staying in the race are are still, you know, a long way to go. So, you know, every week you're kind of like, oh, am I going to make it or am I going to get cut? Am I going to make it or am I going to get cut? Well, how long did you last? Well, I I actually went all the way through, which, again, was super crazy. Um, I made it out to L.A. We filmed. 
And then we are on season seven. So um, the fun part about Shark Tank, you go out there, you film, you either make a deal or you do not make a deal on TV, you know, when they film. And then when you leave, they tell you, hey, you know, again, we film, you know, about 60 companies, but we only keep about half for TV. So we'll let you know about, you know, 10 days in advance of your episode running uh, if you're going to be on. So you have no notice. You don't even know if you're actually going to make it on TV. And and that's the the best part and the scariest part at the same time because, you know, for a small business, getting that kind of exposure can really change the, the trajectory sure. of your business. Yeah, yeah so – you know, I would love to have had a lot more heads up, but that's not how they work. <laughs> um, so you just kind of butt your nails and, you know, you continue to live your life and build your business. And if they call, they call. And if they don't, they don't. Um, I have friends that I met out there filming. He got a call the week before. It was the very first episode of the season. And I was so excited. And there were some things I helped out with him on his project, um, getting ready for the show. And then, you know, in the middle of helping him, I get a call. And they're like, hey, you know, you're going to be on next week, Friday, 8 p.m. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. So I went from helping him to then I had to, like, quit and help myself. And, you know, it was that was pure chaos, yeah. um, you know, preparing for that airing. It was the wildest experience of my life. Now, hold on just a second. You know, we sort of we sort of forgot something along the way because you were making hummus and then you were adding blue cheese to it and things like that. Flavorings. What what's the product line now? It's it's different than that. It is, yeah, and that's another great story of really just entrepreneurship one hundred and one. Um, so when we started in the farmers markets, we had three original flavors. We did a buffalo wing. We did it was called billionaire. It was a dill pickle hummus, and then we did a, a sweet and spicy black bean hummus. That sounds um, great. Yeah. Oh yeah, that was our our most popular bar none. Uh, and as we did the farmer's markets, we really loved the feedback. I mean, we lived for the feedback from our fans and customers. Um, and we noticed a lot of people were using hummus for so much more than just a chip dip. Um, you know, they were putting on proteins, they were putting it in salads instead of dressings and all kinds of things. So we had a lot of people that kept saying, oh, it's so good on my salads. And I kind of thought, well, it would be easier if it was in more of a dressing format. You know, it would be easier to pour same flavors, you know, really great taste, just easier to pour. You know, that way you use less calories. So between the time of the farmer's markets to Shark Tank, I was working on developing another product, which were hummus salad dressings. And in essence, what they were is really completely reconstructed hummus dips that were much thinner in viscosity. But the problem with that is a chickpea is a solid and water is a liquid, so it's the oil and vinegar concept. They don't want to blend together. They want to separate over time. So what you'd be left with is a big brick of chickpea paste at the bottom of the jar and all the liquids on the top, <laughs> as we found not out. Not good, not good. Yeah. You found that right. Out. Yeah, so we had to figure out a way how to kind of beat science, if you will, um, and, and get this to emulsify and stay emulsified. So we had the hummus, and they were doing great, and then we had the salad dressings. We went on Shark Tank, and we had a lot of challenges with the hummus dips themselves. And the biggest one was just the competition. You know, we're a small hummus startup facing basically Pepsi. Uh, Pepsi owns the largest hummus manufacturer in the world. And, you know, our 
yearly budget at that time for marketing was about $50,000 yearly. And their monthly budget for their hummus company was about $50 million. <laughs> So, Yes, yeah, so you, you have a say, challenge, yes. I see. Yeah, it was quite the challenge. So we really kind of snuck around and, um, you know, went off the radar a little bit and started pushing more of our hummus salad dressings in 2016 to 2017, just to see, because it was a wide open space, nobody in the homeless category was really paying attention to it, and we noticed it got some traction. So we put a little more efforts behind it, and it got some more traction. And then we're like, this is this could work. Like, this, the salad dressings are in demand. People like them. They're using them. They get what they're, you know, replacing. You know, our salad dressings are completely different because... Most 95% of salad dressings are empty calories. You know, you're going to eat a beautiful salad with all these greens and veggies and produce, and then you're going to pour a canola oil-based salad dressing on top of it. Right. So you take a, a salad that could be three, 400 calories to 1,000, 1,200, 1,500 calories instantly, you know, and you're putting all this processed sugars and oils and fats on something that's supposed to be good for you. <laughs> I know. And, you know, people don't understand that. I've watched people on this, uh, the Weight Watchers diets, and once they slap the, uh, they're eating a salad, but once they slap the dressing on it, they're way over their points, you know. We, I mean, completely, yeah. And, and I'm, a, I'm a big guy, and I've always, you know, had to eat healthier, you know, to, to keep my, my girlish figure, if you will. Um, so I get the struggle, you know, and that was my frustration point. It's like, you know, you so you, you also wanted this to be uh, health conscious. Bingo! Okay. I wanted. I didn't want to have to sacrifice. I knew hummus was very delicious and very healthy. And why? Because it's ninety percent beans, right? It's ninety percent produce, and I wanted that same concept for a salad dressing. And I thought, why has no one ever done this before? And once we kind of worked through it and figured it out, every bottle of our salad dressing is over fifty percent. Chickpea. Yeah. And what that does is it reduces the need for 50% oils, fats, and sugars. Right? When did it get called Odang? <laughs> so, yeah, what's funny, the, the name Odang is crazy. Um, when we were Odang. I mean, so all, is that what all it the is? Back, yeah, Odang. So Odang. all the way back to the, the wisdom teeth moment. When my friends were coming over, um, I, was, I was really kind of excited that everybody liked this hummus. So that week I had my wisdom teeth out. I was like, what other flavors could I make? And I turned my kitchen into like Mad Max's laboratory, if you will. Um, and I made all kinds of flavors of hummus. You know, anything I could think of. I was like, let's try this. I mean, everything from, um, you know, a, a seven-spice Chinese flavor to chocolate to straw. You know, you name it and everything. And some of them were amazing. And some of them we don't talk about yeah. today because they're that bad. How about um, chocolate? You didn't do chocolate, thank God. <laughs> yeah, right, right. And, and when people and, were, were coming over trying it, I was like, oh, dang, try this. I was like, dang, try that. Oh, dang and dang were in my vocabulary being from Ohio. That's kind of a word we use. I see. So I was like, oh, dang, this is good. And one of my friends was like, oh, man, it's like, it's like oh, dang hummus. And I'm like, that's the name. Yeah. That's funny. That's like, good. it's so good. You go, oh, dang. So, and, and that's how the you, name was born. You, you've been talking about the salad dressing line, but but one of the things that struck me was what you mentioned a little bit ago, the versatility. You can use these as a marinade. You could use them for all kinds of different things. Um, exactly. Yeah, and how many flavors do you have now? 
So we have six flavors of salad dressings and counting. So we're getting ready to add a few more flavors right now. We're going to add some more. And um, and you mentioned on your bottles that they're salad dressing-shaped bottles, but you mentioned all these other possibilities, possible uses, which is very convenient for the consumer. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what's great is it's still very much a dip. You know, you can dip any, you know, chip or whatever your dipping vessel of choice is. Um, they make a wonderful marinade. What's great about these is they're plant-based. They're made with beans. So when you coat, let's say, a piece of salmon in the Greek tzatziki and you bake it off in the uh, oven, it actually creates a really nice crust because the bean starts to cook um, on top. And, and we're the only marinade right now on market that can do that. So it, it seals in the flavor, seals in the moisture, makes a really nice product. Well, I can vouch for it. Yeah, you can. Yeah. And our grandchildren loved it, too. Yeah, no, that's, well, a, that's, great a, that's a test. That's a test. great test. And um, how about where people could get it? Do you have a, um, a store finder on your website? No, I, I looked. They're mostly in Walmart. Yeah, so oh. we, you can go right to odanghummus.com, and you can buy the product straight from there. Or we're sold in about 10,000 grocery stores nationwide right now. So, um, you know, Walmart, Kroger, Ralph's. Um, Publix, you know, just depending what part of the country you're in. But on our website, we also have a store locator, so you can just simply punch in your zip code, um, and it'll bring up one of the 10,000 retailers that we're currently sold in to find a, a bottle near you. Also, Costco. Uh, we have a big big version at Costco right now, which is exciting. Now, how many years start to finish are we now? I mean, um, you did this 2014? Yep, we just, we just celebrated our fifth anniversary. So uh, five you've years. made a lot of progress. I really have to congratulate you. Oh, thank you so much. Does the name Fred Smith ring a bell with you? Sure does. You know, you know what he did, right? Yes, sir. And doesn't know. No. He invent he invented American he invented Federal Express. Yep. Oh, oh, oh. He, oh, wrote, oh. he wrote a business. He wrote his business plan for right. I think it was either Harvard or Wharton. I can't remember which. And he got a fail. Yeah. I'm great. They failed him. Yep. <laughs> That's funny. So, so, so you're a Fred Smith story that happened a little quicker. Uh, well, right. Yep. I, and, and, you know, you, you definitely will get a lot of pushback. I mean, I had a lot of people call me crazy, especially because I'm a, I'm basically half Polish, half Native American, and I started a hummus company. So <laughs> my, my family had no idea what hummus was until basically I was on Shark Tank. <laughs> um, <laughs> so well, you know, I had no no experience. Well, keep, well, keep keep it up. I I'm sure I'm sure there's another business somewhere in the back of your head. You don't know what it is yet. <laughs> when when you figure it out, call call us and come back on the program. And in the oh. in the meantime, we wish you all the very best. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate you guys okay. having me out today. Yeah, yeah. Jesse Wolf and it's odanghummus.com. A quick message to our good friend from Orlando, Kathleen Blake. Kathleen, we're 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 sending you Jesse because he, not because he needs a square meal, but because he's an interesting guy and he he already knows the restaurant and likes it. So we hope you have a good time together. That's we Kathleen hope. Blake and her restaurant is called the Rusty Spoon in Orlando, Florida. Right, and uh, that's it for this week. We we'll talk to you again same time, same place next week. We hope you'll join us then, and until then... Bye-bye.